This is Hebrew Hits, presented by JTribeRadio.com. I'm your host, Malia, and I sit down with people who live by the motto, it's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. first episode of Hebrew Hits. I'm your host, Malia, and today I'm so excited to introduce our guest. Before I get there, I'd like to finally ask you if you can please go follow Hebrew Hits on Instagram and Facebook at Hebrew underscore hits. And please leave us a subscription and a like and a follow on YouTube at Hebrew Hits Radio. We are also available on all your favorite streaming apps. So go give us a follow on that as well. Before we get to the show, I'd like to say hello to our sponsor, which is David Miller Studios. He is a professional photographer, and right now he is offering a 25% off of your next photo shoot. This deal is going on until the end of January. It's 2021. Don't you want to look better? Well, go DM David Miller Studios and use code MALIA25 for 25% off your next photo shoot. Well, right now, I am sitting down with the CEO of Quantum Media. Here is Ari Zoldan, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Been following you since, uh, since one of the first episodes and you've been doing great, so. What has been your favorite episode? Oh my God, well, I, I'm hoping this is gonna be the favorite episode, but uh, we'll, we'll see what the audience says. Well, Ari, I know I've also been following you. Tell me a little bit about your backgrounds, where you grew up. Sure. So um, I grew up in the five towns till I was about 17 years old, specifically Lawrence. I went to um, South Shore for elementary school. Then I went to Hafter High School, um, graduated from there. And then I spent a year in Israel and ultimately ended up at, at Yeshiva University. Um, so that's pretty much in a, in a nutshell, my educational background. Um, when I was 17, I moved to the city and I uh, lived in the city for a good 10, 15 years and ultimately got married and we live up in Muncie right now with, uh, with three little rascals, so. Wow, you live in Muncie. So from five towns, you went to Muncie. I did, I did. Well, officially we're in Wesley Hills, but I like to say Muncie just for the, the shock value of it, you know? <laughs> Muncie, what are you doing in Muncie, you know? So we're next Yeah, what door. are you? What we're are doing you doing in Muncie? <laughs> we actually, we love it there. I feel like I, I should work for the Chamber of Commerce there. You know, yeah. it, um, you're in the country, you're in the country, you know, it's obviously very different from the city. So you have land and a house. So definitely, definitely different than, uh, than living on the Upper West Side. And I think it's great. It's great for raising kids up there. So we're super happy. Ari, have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up? No, absolutely not. Uh, didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. Didn't know anything about, about building companies. It certainly wasn't on my my trajectory, graduated from YU with a major in finance. I certainly thought that I'd be on that finance track, investment banking, yada, yada, yada. Um, and just kind of by accident, I ended up um, in, this, in the world of startups. And um, I really, I, I, it's been quite addictive the past 20 years of spending time in that space and um, learning how to build a company from scratch. So it's something that, no, I certainly... I didn't plan on it. It wasn't on my roadmap, um, but I was open to different opportunities. And, and because of that, it, it led me down this path. Right, for sure. And are your parents entrepreneurs or totally not? No, I think they, they are. Um, they very much are. They're, they're go-getters. They're, they're self-starters. So I did, I did see some of that. Uh, mm -hmm. 
in my in my house growing up. So maybe that indeed was actually a, a bit of an influence. I never really thought about it in that capacity, but probably yeah. you know on some level, I think growing up with it probably did, um, I guess either convinced me or, or geared me, or at least I, I was open to the opportunities of, of going it alone. Yeah, and it's so interesting that you say you're from the five towns because this podcast is taking place from the five towns right now. Which, which are the towns, Malia? Cedarhurst. Very, very nice. Good, good. So you're, you're from Strong Island also. <laughs> uh, it's such a small world, I can't. It's such a small world. So Ari, I want to ask you this question because this is the entire point of the show, the entire point of Hebrew Hits is it's what you do with what you have that makes a difference. Every single person in this world is given challenges. You could choose to fail. You could choose to succeed. So how would you say this mantra applies to your life? Well, I think if you're, you know, quote, quote unquote, you know, an entrepreneur or somebody that's in the, the self-starting space, um, it's very much a personal journey. You know, you, we always hear, oh, it's only business. It's not personal. And I was thinking if I, if I stole your money, you know, Molly, it's, it's oh, very no. personal, right? It's not, you know, I can't come back and say, oh, it's just business. Don't worry about it. Um, so I, I definitely think the, the journey of being an entrepreneur is definitely one that is very challenging, comes with a lot of hardships. Um, mm -hmm. But from that comes a lot of growth and, and growth learning. And I think, you know, it's, although the road the past 20 years has been, um, has been exciting, has been interesting, but I think from a a growth perspective, it's mm -hmm. definitely helped me build who I am and some of the things and some of the projects that I'm working on today. Um, so, and I, I do believe that I think that people that, that are entrepreneurs, um, if they got to you know, it's not easy. You always hear, right. you know, the grass is always green on the other side. Oh, cool. Starting a company. Well, guess what? You know, 80% of the companies fail after the first year. You know, 75% of, out of those 80s, out of that 80 fails after that. So if you're super, super lucky, you'll make it to the third year. Um, but people don't really tell you that. You know, you go into your mm -hmm. event, you go into project, go into your own startup. And just to know statistically that mm -hmm. odds are stacked against you. So how do, wow. you, how do you get up every day? How do you know that, okay, you know, how, how do you stay optimistic? In an environment like that so i think that's really really challenging for a lot of guys that you know a lot of men and women that are in the startup space so i give them a lot, a lot of credit and i think from there becomes your your personal journey right it's right. you know how do you deal with disappointment how do you deal with emotional stress financial stress psychological stress mm -hmm. it's roadblock after roadblock after roadblock so after a period of time you kind of understand and learn how to deal with certain stressors and i think um i think just different things, different avenues open up because of that on the personal side. So I wanna ask you, you were going to college for finance, you went to YU, what, how did this all happen? Like how did your journey take place as becoming an entrepreneur after you graduated college? Sure, so I, I think I just checked off you know, finance because it came after a accounting, you know, maybe the <laughs> accounting business. I, I remember at the, I was at the registrar, you know, I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know, I was 19 years old, but uh -huh. you know. All right, finance, it was, it was the top of the list. So I checked it off, um, had some internships uh, throughout my, my senior, uh, throughout my year at college, throughout my years of college. And it was a great experience. I was able to support myself throughout college by, by working at an investment bank. Um, but when it was time for, you know, for a full-time gig, you know, I, I think I may have been fired after the fourth day 
You know, I, um, I, <laughs> I, I think I bet, I think, I think I asked the guy if I could stay to the end of the week and he was nice enough, you know, I said, sure, you stay to the end of the week, you know, so, so, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't for me. And the reason why, you know, like they saw that I didn't have the attention span um, and I wasn't focused and I just wasn't, I wasn't into it, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, on my week out, my, my first and only week in corporate America, you know, I, I remember turning to, to the, to my boss and said, you know, what, what was it, um, that didn't make it, you know, work. I said, you know, I, I just, I wasn't into it, you know? Um, and that really, that opened up opportunities and that opened up a pathway for me to be able to do other things. And right. a big believer in Bashert and things happen for a reason. It was right after the, the internet boom, um, in the nineties in 2001, where everything kind of, you know, just blew up in a, in a bad way. And um, I saw that there were opportunities uh, to go in and to start building building company when labor was relatively inexpensive and opportunity mm-hmm. was in abundance. And if you're gonna build a company, I've always said, you know, the best time to build it is in a down economy. You know, that's when you have the ramp up time to be able to build something great. So you actually catch the wave on, on the way up. Um, so I got involved in, I was always passionate about technology, got involved in, um, telecom voiceover IP before voiceover IP was, you know, a household name and, um, started building different kinds of telecom and wireless companies, um, that led to e-commerce and then eventually led to uh, a marketing firm, which I, which I run today. And, um, I guess the, the common denominator, what I've, not necessarily what I've learned the most, but, um, Understand, you know, there's a lot of great entrepreneurs out there and hopefully there's entrepreneurs that are watching this and there's a lot of great products and services that people are building. There's all these great ideas. But if you don't know how to market yourself, if you don't know how to market your product, if you don't know how to market your service, if you don't know how to get the word out there about your company, mm-hmm. it, it's nothing. You know, right. um, if there are no goals, you know, dreams are, you know, dreams are you know, it's all great and it's all wonderful, but if there's no goals and there's no way for you to be able to get that kind of exposure and get yourself off the shelf, mm-hmm. people spend, you know, years and years and years going around themselves. So, and there's a lot of great entrepreneurs out there that have great ideas, that have great products, have great services, but they think once they build it, you know, like things will happen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. You know, once you build it, that's when you got to start really, really doubling down and figuring out how right. to market your product. And, um, and I've learned that, that was a common denominator. I learned that throughout the years, a lot of the startups that I worked on weren't getting, weren't getting off the ground um, because people weren't seeing it. I didn't have an audience. There was nothing, there were no channels that I had. And uh, then I fell into media and television and I got, you know, I, I understood very, very quickly the power of different media channels and that in conjunction mm-hmm. with startups, um, help things really move forward. So, wow, that's really incredible. How you were, you know, you were fired like at such a young age. You come out of college, you're confident, and you feel like, you know, okay, this is the job I'm going to have, and then you get fired after a few days. Would you say that was a very low point in your life, or would you say that helped you? Like, where were you at that point in your life? Like, how did you say, okay, I'm going to move on from this after getting fired so quickly, so fresh out of college? Right. Um, was it a low point? It was a low point. It wasn't the lowest point of my life. Um, I think entrepreneurs and people dealing with kind of disappointment are always dealing with the ups and downs and the volatility of it. Um, but certainly it was, it was definitely disappointing. Um, I knew early on, I was like, look, if, if it's going to happen, you know, 
better it happened now than you know in 10 15 years when i when i've spent a decade or so in corporate america mm -hmm. uh you know and i get fired then it was just a, right it was just a matter of time so if it was one week you know i did my I, week and then and then i i went ahead and i i went down the road of of entrepreneurship and uh and starting to build companies and um so i'm, I'm great i'm kind of like i'm thankful that that happened yeah. you know that's how you have to look at things right when they happen even even if you don't see them initially there's there's probably a rhyme or reason why things are happening in that way, even though it's very hard for us to see it right. right yeah. So. I'm curious to know if you're, if that original boss ever came back to you now that you're successful, you're on television, you know, has he ever come back to you and be like, wow, like, I wish you would have stayed. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I haven't seen him, uh, but it would be an interesting conversation to have with him. Um, but I probably would, would thank him if anything. Yeah. Um, for, for firing me, right? I mean, he, he kind of did me a favor. He knew that I just, I wasn't into it. It wasn't me, you know, he could have just kept me there and I could have been trudging, trudging around, you know, mm -hmm. but no, sort of like, you know, right away, all right, his heart is not into it. He's not passionate about it. Like, wow. let's, call, let's call it a day. And obviously I was, I was very upset initially, but again, mm -hmm. looking, looking back, um, it was a blessing in disguise. So if I do run into him, actually, I'm going to say thank you. So. Nice. Uh, it's so interesting that he did. He couldn't pick up on that in the job interview. Right. No. You know? Well, I mean, on job interviews, you're always putting your best foot forward. You have your nice right. suit on. You know, you're making sure that all your words are, are calculated. Your resume is perfect. So you don't really, you don't know somebody from interview. You don't really know them until they're actually in the job and you kind of, kind of get a sense. And I've, I've learned actually over the years while I've, you know, I've interviewed probably hundreds, if not thousands of students um, mm -hmm. or college grads into the workforce, um, you kind of get, you kind of get to know people really well. Um, and there are some tricks of the trade that I've kind of developed and I wrote about and I've spoken about how to find great talent. Um, and obviously the most important is how to retain the great talent too. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the core of everything is human capital today, right? Like how do I find that diamond in a rough mm -hmm. and kind of quote unquote, raise them, mold them, teach them, guide them, mentor them, but then keep them happy throughout the year. So they produce at a level um, that is just spectacular. It's so hard because right now there are so many talented people out there, so many talented people and everybody's, you know, competing with each other, even competing with themselves, really. That's really what it is just to get better and better and better. So it's hard to find that like diamond who's like, you know, just more talent, not even more talented, but I guess has more passion and more drive. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. You could pick, I think after many years, you know, after years of like knowing people and sensing people, you kind of like could pick it up. And it's not, you know, I don't care about the resume, you know, I mean, the references are nice and they're great, mm -hmm. but I, I just need a sense of whether or not, you know, you're in it, if you're passionate about it. Um, right. You're able to follow up and some details, you know, kind of is a really good indication. I'll kind of give you a, um, a secret over here. It's not going to be secret okay. anymore because everyone's going to hear it. So my first, always my first interview, people think I'm totally nuts, is that my first interview lasts about five minutes. The, wow. The, yeah, max. I mean, five minutes, you know, is four minutes over than I usually give them. So let's say it's five minutes. Um, and then I say, I, I give them one assignment. I say, do me a favor. I say, follow up with me by 9 p.m. 95% of the people just don't follow up with me. You know, and all they had to do was one very, very simple assignment. They just had to send me an email before 9 p.m. Nice meeting you. 
you know, look forward to seeing you again. 95% of people don't even do that, you know? So then, then I, I'm in touch with them, you know, a week or two later and they're like, well, you know, if I was on hired, I thought I interviewed well, my resume is blah, blah, blah. I said, if we're gonna be working together, I need to rely on you. I need you to be dependable. I said, I gave you like the most simplest thing to do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> can't follow up with me by 9 p.m. send me a four second email there's a good chance that you know things aren't aren't going to work out um you know so stuff like that from mm -hmm. an HR interviewing perspective I've learned to kind of nail down pretty well it doesn't doesn't work all the time and I've been wrong lots um but for the most part that's a really that's one indication uh one task that I'll give somebody that that interviews and and first impressions you know fortunately or unfortunately um say a lot you know how mm -hmm. you come in how you dress how you present yourself um it shows whether or not you care or not so it's yeah. kind of these little small things that add up to to something really big that makes an impression and um mm -hmm. you know i find most people just don't care you know i see that as well i see that as all the interviews you could see who cares to be interviewed and who doesn't it's, you right. know so i see that exact exact same thing which is very cool because like you're interviewing people for a job I'm interviewing people about their life and you see the same, same thing. Right, right, exactly. And that's, you know, I, I talk about on the lecture circuit a lot about human capital today, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you find, how do you find superstars? You know, because you build a team, you build a rock star team, they're going to make you a lot of money, you know, forget kind of like the product, the service, all that stuff I'm sure is, is great and there's a need for it in the market. But if mm -hmm. you don't have that team, that solid team behind you, not even behind you, walking with you. Right. Uh, it, it's just, it's you. It's you and you become a babysitter watching, you know, watching new hires just kind of trip over themselves. So yes. it's finding those diamond in a rough and it's also retaining them and keeping them happy. So I love that you said about the team because it, it, in any business, like Google did not become Google by just one person. He had to scale yeah and also apple all these all these big huge companies they only became big once they had a team with them and that's really when they scaled their business i want to ask you this i know that you're i'll go back to when you first came out of college and when you got fired and all that and when you were trying to you know grow and become bigger in your business and actually figure out what your path would be have you ever experienced self-doubt like you're like uh i don't know like like i don't really know if i believe in myself and if you have how have you overcome that malia every single day Really? Every, of course. I think, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, you're working on this client, this project, this opportunity, and you're just up against obstacles. It's just mm -hmm. like, that's, I think that's the life of an entrepreneur. It's, you know, how are you going to overcome that hurdle? Because there's always hurdles. Again, you, all, you always hear about, you know, the bright side of it. Oh, you know, started in his garage and became a billionaire. Well, right. they don't tell you about the 99.9% .9 of everyone else that's worked on a startup and spent years of their life and spent money on it and it didn't, it never took off. Um, so do I have self-doubt? A thousand percent. I have self-doubt all the time, but I also don't have the luxury to be able to stay in that self-doubt space, that's right? Great. We have family, right? We have families, we have tuition, we have overhead, we have coffee, right? We have family, we have car leases, we have mortgage payments, right? So. Um, I'm in that space. I fall into that space often, but mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have the leisure or the luxury to be able to just hang out in that self-doubt space. And I mm -hmm. think that out of that, out of that, you're able to build or you build as a byproduct, you build character from that. 
Um, but self-doubt is important. You want to have self-doubt because if you don't have self-doubt, you're, you're over, you know, you're overconfident and who wants to deal with egotistical, overconfident people, you know, that's true. You want self-doubt, right? Where, can you share a story where you actually were like, you had a lot of self-doubt and you were like, okay, I want to give up. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything. I'm just going to give up. But then you said, no, 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 I'm not going to give up. And you pushed forward and then you continue to doing, to do amazing things. Sure. So I, um, I, I was working on a, on a project, on a, on a new startup, mm-hmm. and um, we were like three years into it. It was, it was about, without getting into the specifics, it was about to launch 36 months involved in this project. And then the day before we were quote unquote supposed to go you know, live, certain things happen and it just never, never took off. So mm-hmm. you kind of like, you know, you stay in bed for the day and you're like, you know, it's like not having coffee for a week. You're just in this mood. Um, but then, then again, it, it comes to a point where, you know, hey, you have bills to pay, right? And wow. you have a mortgage payment and you have family. So it's, again, it's coming back to that, to that luxury. You know, if, if I had a trillion dollars in the bank, then, you know, I could kind of hang out and self-doubt all I want. But mm-hmm. the reality is very few people have that. So they're kind of forced to be able to move forward. And that's why it's so much of a, getting back to what I said initially, it's so much of a personal journey. Mm-hmm. It, I believe entrepreneurship really has very little to do with business. And it's more about self-growth. How do you deal with stress? How do you deal with not paying your bills? How do you deal with emotional stress, family, da, 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 right? I mean, as you... Mm-hmm as we get older, we have these responsibilities. Well, you're, you're taking all that stuff and you're, and you're risking it all. You know, you're risking all these things that you have because of your idea, your concept. Well, what happens if it doesn't work? You know? So yeah, self-doubt is important to have. It's important to look at. It's important to understand, Mm -hmm. but not to have the luxury of staying in that sphere. So you worked on this project for 36 months. That's time, energy, did you lose a lot of money? Like you put a lot down or was it a lot of your time? Like me, what was the feeling? Yeah. So, so, you know, you speak to most entrepreneurs, time, time is money, right? It's opportunity, right? So um, it was, it was me about the time and the effort that I, mm-hmm. I put into something that didn't, um, that didn't right. take off the way I, I wanted it to. Um it was the time, you know, entrepreneurs, that's all we have is time, right? We have realistically eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, you know, how do we turn our time into dollars? So I spend, you spend three years working on something that doesn't take off. It, it hurts. It hurts financially, psychologically, emotionally. So that's very, very challenging. But again, how do you, you know, when is the time to kind of, okay, I'm done with it. We have to move forward, you know? Right. Um, and the goal is to try to take that space between, you know, the, the, the idea and the failure and kind of, and the disappointment rather, and then try to keep that as that timeline as thin as possible. So it's okay to, to, to be angry, to be upset, to be disappointed, um, be in that space. I think it's important. I think it's necessary, but then pick up and move forward because, um, every, every minute, every day that you're, you're not in a proactive, positive space, it's just, um, it's working against you. How long ago was that? That was about 10 years ago. Oh, a long time ago. A long time ago. Now, um, I, I've worked on a lot of stuff that hasn't taken off. 
um, haven't haven't worked on something you know for three years that haven't taken off. But nevertheless, right. um, yeah, I've worked on tons of stuff that just you know didn't have either didn't have the legs for it, the timing was off, um, the partners. I it was it could have been a combination of a, of a bunch of things. But at a certain yeah. point, I also feel and believe that if I put my one hundred percent in it, my mm -hmm. one thousand percent into it, and it doesn't work the way I want it to work or it doesn't unfold the way it should. I kind of leave that up to God, you know, and I could sleep well at night knowing that, okay, look, I, I did everything I possibly could, you know, right. Some, there were these variables that I just didn't know about or weren't, wasn't aware or that was unpredictable. Um, those are actually those situations. I don't get disappointed. Don't get too disappointed. I get disappointed, but not too disappointed because you know you've given everything. You know, you've right. given 100%. If I gave, you know, 90%, 95, I didn't really care, blah, blah, you know, that's something else. But mm -hmm. when you give your 1000% to it and your heart is into it, um, that night when things don't work out, I mean, many times people could oh, yeah. sleep because you, you gave it everything, you know? Right. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Talking about God and talking about Hashem. I know that you're out there in, you know, in what you do in your business. Has there been any spiritual challenges you have faced? Sure. Um, um, I'm always conflicted about, you know, wearing a, uh, a yarmulke on TV. Okay. Uh, um, and I'm still, I'm still conflicted with it. Sometimes I do, sometimes, you know, I don't. It's not really consistent, which is um, talk about self-doubt or, or insecurity. That, that's my, you know, insecurity or that's where I have some self-doubt. Um, because I'm, if I'm proud of who I am, if I'm proud of the religion that I'm associated with, like, why not wear a yarmulke on TV, you know? Right. Um, so those are definitely some personal challenges that I, that I deal with. Totally comes from an insecurity um, because there's no reason in the world if I'm, if I'm proud to right. be Jewish and I follow the law, you know, why don't I, I put on a yarmulke? So, so that's something that, um, that is definitely is a constant struggle for me. I know it shouldn't be. And I'm hoping I'm hoping to overcome that soon. You're wearing a yarmulke on this show, right? Of course I'm wearing. Are you kidding? It's the first thing I did. You know, it wasn't even a wasn't even a question. You know, I was like, oh my god, I wear my yarmulke. I'm gonna be a like what the Bayou community is gonna see this, you know? <laughs> so I I I mean, you, people know you're Jewish. Like it's not a secret. People that you work with know you're Jewish. So even though you know you're Jewish, you're still uncomfortable wearing a yarmulke on TV. I am, and that's my own, maybe that's, you know, the, the pressure to fit mm -hmm. in, to not stand out. It, it's a total 100%, like I own that. It's an insecurity on, on right. my side, you know, I embrace it, I know it. Um, for whatever reason, there, there's some block there and, and I do, I wanna overcome it. It's something that, mm -hmm. you know, I, I am working on. Um, you know, I'm also working on Kavana, you know, this kind of, there's certain stuff that, you know, I didn't have growing up for whatever reason, I didn't really have so much of a connection, not a physical connection to Judaism, but not at all spiritual. I just wasn't mm -hmm. able to connect. I wasn't able to have Kavana when I dobbined. Um, and that's changed over the years because I kind of experienced certain things that, you know, a higher power or God could have been the only thing that actually made certain things happen. So I needed to kind of see it for myself or to experience right. it myself in order to recognize that there's a, a higher power, God, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I'm kind of um, starting that journey now. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I can't say I've been on it. It's, it's just been recent where 
when I dive in in the morning, I'm trying to have um, a little bit of Kavana. Starts with a little bit of Kavana. So um, I'm not moving the needle considerably, but a little slight, a slight hairbrush, you know? All you need is that little bit. It's true. It's true. So uh, I'm trying. When I dive in every morning, I try to yeah. have a little more Kavana. But it's hard. It's, it's hard today, you know? It's like, especially someone that has a, an attention span of a fruit fly, you know, how, oh, yeah. like a half hour, 45 minutes, right? To like concentrate and stuff. So something definitely that I'm, I'm working on and I, I feel good about that because I'm, mm -hmm. I'm definitely heading in the right direction. No, that's good. Would you ever wear a baseball cap to, you know, uh, when you're on TV, on Fox or CNN, or is it not really the type of thing that you would do? Yeah, you don't really wear, you don't really typically, you wouldn't wear like a hat on TV. Um, right. But, you know, I should be wearing me out like, there's no reason why I shouldn't be wearing yarmulke. If I, it's like a huge Kiddush Hashem. I mean, as long as the stuff that comes out of my mouth is half normal, um, it um, it should be a Kiddush Hashem, you know, and not 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 the other way around. So we all know that Jewish guy. I'm not going to say names on a show. I mean, I probably could, but I'm just not. Who wears the yarmulke? He's on TV. He has his own show, and he's there. He's wearing his black yarmulke. I've, I've, yes, I'm happy to say his name. If you don't want to say his name, I think we all know who he is. And huge Kiddush Hashem, bottom line. Yeah. Bottom line, huge Kiddush Hashem. And I think like the community is just like really, really happy with him and feeling very proud. And, and he represents just, he just does great stuff. So, I mean, I have, I have amazing things to say about him. So. Have you ever done any interviews with him or spoken with him? When I worked in DC, we, we crossed, we crossed paths. Um, so we were kind of in, well, we were in a similar, in the, in the news, in the news space, mm -hmm. uh, the talk radio space, we were in the same circles. So, um, we weren't, we weren't close at all, but we definitely, you know, on a professional level, we crossed paths and, um, just admire his work. I think he's amazing. Yeah. He's brilliant. He's smart. Um, yeah, only have the nicest things to say about him. And again, it's, he's a real Kiddush Hashem, which is so important. So I know that you're on a lot of news networks. You're on Fox, CNN, CNBC, talking about, you know, being on the news and things like that. Which one is your favorite news network to be on? That's a good question. You know what? Actually, radio is something that I really, really enjoy. And I'm not just, not just saying radio podcast, you know, because we're, we're together. But there's something still, I think, very genuine about mm -hmm. radio, you know, people think, you know, radio is dead. Radio is not dead, you know? No. Um, you know, you could still target locally by zip code, you know, from a business perspective, radio is certainly not dead. I don't think radio will, will ever go away. I think it's, you know, it will, it's, it will always be a medium. Uh, it will always be an outlet for, for media. It may not be that big, but there's definitely a space for it. So I, I, love, I love the environment of, of radio. I find that it's, it's more personal. Mm -hmm. uh, radio podcast, right? It's the same thing. I feel that there's a, there's a different kind of platform that it affords you to be, for whatever reason, I think more, more authentic and more raw. And I think that's just, nature, that's just the nature of the platform. You also typically will have more time on radio, not all the time, but you know, you have two, three minutes on television and then, you know, but when you get an interview on radio, I feel like it's, you know, especially if they're an engaged listener, Mm -hmm. um, they're able to process and, and take, take the information in um, versus just watching it on, on television. So. Right. And also when you're on radio, it's about you. 
It's about you, your story, who you are, what you do. When you're getting interviewed uh, on TV, it's focusing, you give business advice, right? You're, you're- Many times, yeah. So I cover business and technology um, as an expert guest for, for a lot of the news networks. Um, so right, I, I get to comment on you know, the ongoings on, on mergers or opportunities in the marketplace uh, mm-hmm. or breaking news. Um, but yeah, TV, just if you have that relationship, on radio or podcast, you have that relationship with the host. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, um, I feel like there's a different kind of connection. There's a special connection because maybe you have more time. Um, right. So I just think it's, it's, um, it's different. It's different. It's unique. And I really do love radio and I, I love podcasting. I think the podcast industry is going to just continue, continue to grow. So I'm excited to watch that space. I got to ask you this question. I'm so excited to ask you this. Are you ever nervous to get on TV? You look all calm, collected, you know, you don't look nervous at all, but inside, are you nervous? Um, I think everyone is a little nervous, you know, when you're going out in front of 40 million people, you know, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think there's always hesitation. We talked about self-doubt before. There's always self-doubt. Am I prepared? Am I talking points in order? Um, you know, how am I going to present myself? Am I going to get my points in? What happens if the host asks me a question? I don't know. So yeah, the, you know, you live in that space. Um, a bit. Um, so you're always a little nervous. And I think it's important. You need to be a little bit nervous. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not nervous at all. I think that's, that's not a good thing. And it could be an indication of something else because you don't want to come off also overconfident, right? right? You want to come off, you know, vulnerable. You don't know every, you know, we don't know everything. So mm-hmm. yeah, am I, am I scared? Um, yeah, I get a little scared every single time I go on, you know, but practice makes, per- you know, the more you do it, it kind of becomes more natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you prepare for the segment too, that kind of helps you. But um, I do get a little nervous uh, before each one. And I, I hope I always continue to be a little nervous because it keeps me on my toes. So before we talk about quantum media, I have to ask you this other question. Before we started this interview, were you nervous? Um, that's a good question. I, I wasn't nervous because I, I know you. And uh, so, you know, we worked together in the past, so, so I, know who, I know you and you make your, your guests feel very comfortable. Uh, that was number one. Number two was we did some planning beforehand and that's kind of everything. So I had a chance to, to you know, review my notes and see what, you know, what the format of the, of the podcast was gonna be. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I wasn't nervous, but you know, you still watch every word you say and you double check it and all that stuff, so. But Are you just, nervous right now though? No, no, I'm not nervous now, but it's only because you make you make the environment calm. And that's what it's about with, with host and media and television. Like it's a relationship between the host and the guests. You mm-hmm. know, like are you are you listening? Are you taking it in? Are you making eye contact? You know, are you making the guests feel comfortable? Um, so that's really important and you've accomplished that. So kudos. Yay, thank you. I'm so happy that you're not nervous. That's awesome. So I know that you are the CEO of Quantum Media. So explain to our listeners what exactly Quantum Media is. Sure. So we're, we're a marketing firm. Um, we act as chief marketing officers for a whole bunch of different companies. Part of our firm uh, is traditional media, TV, print, and radio. The other is digital. Um, and I've I didn't go, you know, I majored in finance, never went into marketing, but kind of learned from my own experience of having startups, um, what it takes to kind of market yourself or market your product or market your service. So mm-hmm. over the years, people have come to me and said, you know, oh, I need help with branding. I need help, you know, launching my company. I need help, 
so that kind of um, things kind of naturally evolved in a way where we started an agency and uh, we started taking on clients. Um, so we don't really, we don't advertise. It's thank God it's all been word of mouth. Uh, mm -hmm. And we're at a point right now where it's great in a company's, you get to kind of pick and, I don't want to say pick and choose your clients, but you kind of be, you get to be a little more selective about mm -hmm. the type of clients that you take on, the ones you right. feel, the ones that you feel passionate about. Like those are the ones you want to work with. The other ones, even if they're paying you, you know, more money, but they're, they're toxic and they suck the life out of you, you know, don't want to go there. And I, and I talk about on the lecture circuit a lot, a lot about toxic relationships, toxic business relationships mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like and always surrounding yourself with like people that have good energy. It's so awesome that you're able to choose who you want to take on as a client. That's such an advantage that you have. It's amazing. At this point, it took, we didn't in the beginning, you know, we were taking everything and anything. If it walked, didn't walk, whatever. We would just, you know, <laughs> the dog walked into the office, we would take it on, you know. But yes. uh, after a while, you, you know, you kind of prove your worth, you know, you could demand certain fees mm -hmm. and, and also, um, you know, be selective as to what clients, what sectors you want to work in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's always quality, no matter what these days, it's always quality over quantity. So better right. to have like, you know, a dozen incredible clients and have, you know, a hundred clients that you're just, you know, not working their accounts. So, right. um, so what do you do? Do you deal, do you, do you um, like run their social medias? You push their product? Is that what you do? Yeah. So we'll run their digital campaigns. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll get them on television. We'll get them quoted in, um, in magazines and newspapers. We'll get them on podcasts. We'll get them on the radio. I mean, we just, we'll get them exposure you know, bottom line. So right. anything that a chief marketing officer would do, we have all that. That's awesome. Okay. So I guess I'm going to be speaking to you after we finish this episode. You're doing a good job. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So throughout your whole, throughout your whole career, what would you say has been your favorite time in your career from when you finished college till now? My favorite time. Um, Probably when I was first coming out of being down and out, you know, I think kind of where you see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, mm -hmm. where you go through a lot of like the hardships, but yet there's that, you know, wait, you know, there's actually that, that light there where, you know, we may be able to make it on the other side. So I think it's that, it's that moment where you work so hard, where you're dealing with failure, you're dealing with obstacles, but then you see, you know, not necessarily right in front of you, but you see a mile down the road that way th there's a light there and I just have to get to that light. Um, I find that to be very, very satisfying. I know quantum, you know, you do a lot of marketing and things like that for different companies, getting businesses out. Have you ever worked with companies that are not part of USA or across the, across the, the ocean? Yeah. So uh, a nice size, uh, nice size of our portfolio of clients are overseas companies, companies in Africa and Asia and South America uh, mm -hmm. in the Middle East. And those are definitely, um, I do enjoy traveling. So I kind of mix traveling with, with business. So you get to see parts of the world that, you know, ordinarily I wouldn't be able to see right. or experience. Um, but I love, I love working on cross-border transactions, sitting on boards of, of other companies also outside the United States. So I find that to be challenging, interesting. You learn about different cultures, mm -hmm. um, different environments, different, different way people conduct business. Um, I find that to be interesting um a lot 
that's something that are these companies are these companies that are overseas trying to you know get publicity in america is that why they reach out to you yeah so there's a lot of companies that the international companies that are looking for exposure uh mm -hmm. through the u.s media through the u.s media okay. channel so um they'll engage us um to be able to you know they have a great product they have a service they have a campaign whatever it is and they want to be able to um they want to be able to launch a digital campaign in in the u.s how do you do it? So we'll go ahead and, and we'll do that for them. So I find that to be interesting. Many times I have to go, you know, there overseas to be able to pitch the client. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, if we do and, and the sector is good and we like the really, you know, it, it works out a lot. I really enjoy doing that. So. That's so great. And speaking about overseas, I have to congratulate you for becoming a board member on a bank for a bank in Dubai. Congratulations uh, on that. Thank you. Thank you. An investment bank in Dubai. We're going to be uh, doing marketing and facilitating uh, cross-border transactions with uh, for companies that are looking to break into the United Arab Emirates. And, you know, there's been so much of that in the news, you know, with mm -hmm. Israel, Israel now, you know, now having diplomatic relations uh, with Dubai and now Iran and Morocco was just sealed. So um, it's, it's a good opportunity. It's a good opportunity for Israelis to be able to get into that space, which I know they have their eyes on. So we we help on a business developments on the business development side to be able to um, facilitate those relationships. Yes, and Dubai right now is the hotspot. So how is it for you to travel there? Is it exciting? There's like Jewish like things that are starting to pop up right now in Dubai. There is. So I used um, I used to go to the shul. There was a shul there. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty fascinating. It's um, you know. It, they don't advertise it. I mean, before they made the announcement, you know, uh, between Israel and, and Dubai, the diplomatic relations, they, um, you know, the, the shul was very much underground, you know, wow. they, never, they never disclosed the location. Um, in fact, when I was traveling there uh, before Shabbat, I, um, you know, I sent a text when I was leaving from, from the U.S. to go there. I sent a text um, to somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody um, that had the location of the shul. Okay. You know, wow. so I said, okay, can I have the location? I said, no, 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 we're only going to be location when you actually land in Dubai, like right before shop. Like they were very, very sensitive. As wow. Why? Shul. Yeah. I, I guess for, you know, I don't know, it could be anti Semitic reasons, but they don't want it, they don't want the address of the shul out there. So they're very, very cautious who they gave, who they gave, or who they give the address to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right, literally right before Shabbos, he said, "Okay, you know, here's the address, and and you'll you'll come." But it was um, it was it was amazing. Kind of situations like that, I find, especially being a, a Jew and a religious uh -huh. Jew overseas, trying to always find a shul, whether you're in India, whether you're in Africa. Um, I find that to be you know, I find it to be fun and exciting. Also, you know, you feel typically when you're when you're away from your religion or you're you're less connected physically. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of want to always be, or always have the tendency to be spiritually or wanting to be spiritually more connected. Um, right. Have, did they make you sign a paper saying that you're not going to tell anybody the location of the shul? No, 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 they didn't. But they were very, it's like understood, you know, like, here's the address, like, don't give it out to anyone. Um, now yeah. it's all public. They, you know, because of the, the agreements, everything now is, is open. Uh, but before that, it was definitely very, you know, it was very, very quiet and under the radar. So. So Ari, I have to ask you, how is it to be on the board of an investment bank in Dubai? It's cool. We're going to be hopefully bringing in a lot of um, a lot of Israeli companies. 
wow. yeah, we're, we're super excited about that. I mean, Israel, as you know, is a startup nation. Um, they haven't been able to work with the U, you know, any companies in the UAE mm-hmm. ever. So this is kind right. of a new market for them. And, and Israel's got the goods. They've, they've got the technology. You know? So how are those corporate relationships between Dubai and Israel? You know what? Fascinating on, on many, many levels, right? This is kind of the first time that two worlds are, are coming together. Yeah. Um, but we also, you know, there are so many differences, but there are also, I think there are more things that we have in common uh, between both the countries. You know, culturally, if you think about it culturally, it's it's a similar culture. You know, if mm-hmm. you really think about things even like sneas or, or modesty, very simply, right? I mean, you know, it's the same thing. There's no difference, right? We, you know, if somebody is dressed in a long skirt and, and covering themselves, the same thing over there if they're wearing, you know, a burqa and front, right? I mean, so the laws of this yeah. kosherist, this kosherist, there's halal, there's there's all these different things that I think we have a lot more in common. Look, ultimately, we come from the same place, right? right. Um, so we have a lot more in common than, than we do have differences. And they get along? Yeah. Between Dubai and Israel? It's amazing. It makes for like great, I'm very out there and and outspoken also about, you know, being Jewish and, and being religious and stuff. So I love kind of like throwing that out there as the first sentence sitting, you know, at a table with, you know, I think it's great. I, I, so you're not nervous to like walk through the streets being a Jew wearing a yarmulke if you are in Dubai? No, no, zero. As crazy as that sounds, um, I think at the end of the day, people are people. You have good people, you have bad people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad the bad people are going to do bad things. The good people are going to do good things. It doesn't matter geographically where you are around the world. Um, and if there's an opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem, then awesome. Right. And now how do you see the corporate relationships between Dubai and the U.S.? Is it different than between Dubai and Israel? Um, it's already, it's, it's been developing. They've been working together for some time. I think, mm-hmm. though, there's going to be a lot more investment now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that region of the world is a little bit calmer right now. And I think that everybody will be working closer together. So I think that obviously the world is, you know, becoming a lot smaller too. Um, So working on transactions, whether you're sitting in Israel, whether you're here or whether you're over there becomes a lot more accessible. So I think things are going to be really opening up considerably. Um, And there's new investment opportunities uh, in Dubai also, especially in the tourism business where Israelis are just going to, they're going to flock to Dubai to experience, right? Israelis are travelers anyway. Yeah, so they haven't been able to experience that part of the world, so that's that's right. exciting. And left and right, I'm constantly hearing people are going to Dubai for this, for that. There's weddings happening in Dubai, like Jewish weddings, because I guess it's closed here because of Corona. But in Dubai, they're like flying there. What is the situation right now in Dubai with COVID? They have it. I mean, for the most part, they do have it under under. I don't want to say under control. I mean, I think mm-hmm. everyone you know is being hit by it. Um, but it's it's a small country. You know, so I think that they're able to to maybe manage it better than a country of 330 million people like in the U.S. Um, so I think the rules are a little bit stricter, and that's why I think they're able to keep it a bit under control. But people are still, unfortunately, they're they're dying, and and they're subject to everything that everyone right. else is uh, is subject to to here. Right. Um, I I think there's there's going to be a lot of opportunities now with this bridge opening up. Uh, mm-hmm both for Israeli companies and, and US companies as well um, to be able to start it. And hopefully that will lend itself to a calmer political environment also, right? Yes, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> you, you want everyone to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
when everyone's successful and, and making money, there's no war, you know, there's no war. So uh, I always wonder why people push people down. And I realize it's probably because of jealousy or, you know, they wish they were, they were successful, but like, I, I really, I wish everybody success. Like I want everybody to be successful. Why not? Like if one person could be successful, why can't somebody else, you know, why push where, people down? Where does that come from? Ali? It comes to, it's one word. It's, it's insecurity. I hear. Yeah. Right. It's insecurity. Why, why don't I, you know, I want you to be successful. Well, you know, I'm confident, you know, you know, I want, you know, go, I want you to be successful, you know, but if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't confident in myself um, or I was feeling insecure, I would want you part of my tribe then on the way down. So I think a lot of it stems from, from insecurity. Like I want you to be the most successful person in the world. You know, um, I think you will be notwithstanding, notwithstanding what I'm, what I'm saying, but I think, um, I think good people want good things to happen. Yeah, not only with success, but I also find that if you're out on the street and you meet somebody, let's say, and like, let's say even give a compliment, people have a very hard time giving compliments. And I, and I asked somebody, I'm like, why can't you give a compliment? Like, why is it so hard? But people, somebody said, because I feel if I give you a compliment, then you either look better than me or you're doing a better job than me. And I was like, no, that's not how it is. You want everybody to be happy. There's so much... Right now, there's so many challenges in the world. Right now, in this time, 2020 has been a crazy year. Giving somebody a compliment could lift them up tremendously. But people are so afraid that if they give someone a compliment, even not even talking about being su successful, just a small compliment, it's hard for people to do. Yeah, no, the, you're 100% right. I mean, the greatest thing in the world, I always say, is to do somebody the smallest act of kindness. You know, mm -hmm. um, the other day I was going through it just to give you an example, which, um, wasn't planned. I was, didn't plan to talk about this on air, but um, I was just going over the um, the toll bridge, and uh, the lady in the toll booth. You could tell she was having a hard day. You know, she she just didn't look happy. Um, but yet her nails, she did her nails all like blitzed up, and she took a lot of pride in her nails. So when she handed me back the money, I just said, hey, really like your nails, you know? And just that very, very simple act, no sweat off my back, you know? Right. Really, she was she was beaming and I feel like it, it made her day. So yeah. So it we, for sure did. Yeah, we, sure could, did. we could all do that. It was very simple. I said three words, you know, nice nails, you know, really cool. And then I, I took my change and I, and I kept going. Um, but it's those little, it's those act of kindness that I think are the greatest things in the world that yeah. um, people don't don't stop for a minute. You know, even just saying, thank you, you look nice, or, you know, I appreciate your help. No sweat up your back, you know? Exactly. Uh, it's the same, same time and effort, you know, as anything else. And, um, and you make somebody feel good and then that's infectious, right? And then you're spreading mm -hmm. positive energy. Exactly. I think, I think that's important because whatever you put out there in the world, like comes back to you. You know, and even if it doesn't come back to you, you should still do good because there's no harm in that. So, yeah, I mean, people believe in karma. Is karma for good too, or just for bad? I'm curious. That's a good question. Um, I think it could go both ways. You have good karma, yeah. bad karma. I think so. We could go yeah. with that line. I don't know, but let's let's go with it. It could go <laughs> both. Awesome. So, Ari, I want to ask you what what are you doing next? What's next for you? What are you working on now? So I'm finishing up a book that hopefully will be published very oh, soon. Wow. Yeah, which I'm excited about. It's called Startup. Coincidentally, it's called Startup Karma. 
you mentioned the word. Oh, karma. wow. Yeah, it's called Startup Karma. And basically, um, the past 20 years, just things that kind of came. Well, you'll have to read the book. I can't tell you everything, but. You're going to okay. send me the book? You'll I'll send me the book? the book? Yeah, yeah. Basically, Startup Karma, I'm not going to give it away right now, but something that I've been working on for many years. And it really, it talks about um, a very holistic approach to business. Uh, you know, we think greed is greed is good, you know, but we see over the past, you know, thousand years, every time, you know, even if we look at the last hundred years, we see the Great Depression, it led yeah. up to, you know, the housing crash. Led to greed. There were so many things that, um, so many bad things that happened because of greed. So, uh, you know, Gordon Gecko's greed is good doesn't, is not the case. Before we go, I do want to ask you this question as well. Has there been a piece of advice that you have been given earlier on in your life that has stuck with you that was so important and you learned so much from it that you can share with, with us and our listeners? Sure. Um, surround yourself with really good, honest people. Um, second, I would say is put a definition to success. Mm -hmm because everyone defines success differently, right? Success for you may be, you know, having 10,000 downloads. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you. Uh, to another person, it may be you know, having a trillion dollars in the bank. Um, I think for each person in, in terms of their goals is, be able to, is to be able to define what success is for them. Um, for me, if I cover my bills, I pay my mortgage, da, 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 you know, great. Great, I'm successful. You know, um, I love what I do. I'm passionate. I work with great people. Great, I'm successful. Uh, to somebody else, it could be very, very different. So I think um, defining what success means to you mm -hmm. early on in your career um, is a really good thing. Thank you so much, Ari. That was Ari Zoldan right here on Hebrew Hits. Now, if anybody wants to contact you and get in touch with you, how would they do that? Uh, Twitter, uh, I'm at Ari Zoldan. And uh, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and all those other great social media platforms. So yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to help um, anyone that needs advice or guidance or, um, or just an ear. So. Thank you so much for being here. That was the 41st episode of Hebrew Hits. Please go subscribe to Hebrew Hits Radio on YouTube. Hit that notification bell and like and share and comment. And please go follow Hebrew Hits on Instagram and Facebook at Hebrew underscore hits. We are also available on all streaming apps. Please go give us a follow. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Thank you, Malia. You're awesome.